This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light, in him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the Righteous One. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Dear friends, I am not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. Yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you, because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning. I know many of you. Um, if you don't know me, come and say hello afterwards and I'll introduce myself. But um, I live in Plymouth uh, these days. But this St. Swithin's is my home church, my root church, if you like. And I'm back here quite a lot, actually. Um, and while I'm talking, I'll try not to be too long. But if, you just, if the sun just gets too much and you need to move to the shade, please pick up a chair and move. I won't, I won't feel you're not listening. Let me pray before I start. Heavenly Father, thank you for the privilege of, and the freedom that we have of, work, of worshipping you together. I pray now that you will take my words and what's not from you will just fall away and what is from you that will sink into our hearts and will change us. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're thinking about the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of goodness. What is goodness? I heard recently that a person is rarely described as good these days in, in obituaries. It used to be something that was very common, now it isn't. I wonder why that is. Is it something that we don't value much nowadays? I'm sure you can remember as being told as a child, and maybe some of the children here can also, this will be familiar, that their parents have said, make sure you're good, be good, or if you're good, I'll buy you an ice cream. But what do we actually mean when we say be good? How do you be good? It's a bit vague, isn't it? So this morning we're actually going to start by thinking about God's goodness. I think we need to really get to grips with that first. I'll explain why later. And then what that means for us and how the fruit of goodness can grow in us. And first I want to look at how we understand good, how we use the word good and goodness, and compare that with God's goodness. 
because I think it's quite different. And I've identified three ways that we use the word good that aren't very helpful when we're thinking about God's goodness. First of all, we qualify good. We actually don't, we're not really satisfied with the word good. We want to know, well, how good? Is it okay? Is it moderately good? Is it very good? Extremely good? And then we come up with a whole load of other words. Awesome, fabulous, stupendous, and so on. But God's goodness cannot be qualified or measured or quantified or graded in this way. When we read of God's goodness in the Bible, we can understand that it's abundant beyond measure. It's boundless. It has no boundaries. It's infinite, and it lasts forever. In our reading um, this morning, that we had from 1 John 1, in verse 5, John writes, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. So light represents what is true and good, and the darkness represents what is false and evil. And God is all light. There is no darkness, no evil in him. So that's the first thing, the first way that we use good, but you cannot apply it to God. The other thing that we do is good has, we have variable standards. So my idea of good might be different to your idea of good. It's not fixed. And sometimes we move the goalposts or raise the bar. Now, I was a teacher for many years, and I worked with several different versions of the national curriculum and went through many Ofsted inspections. And the criteria that was used for good was constantly changing. It felt like the goalposts were com continually being moved. So any teachers in the, um, here this morning will know what that feels like. But God's goodness is consistently, unfailingly good. He does not move the goalposts. James writes in chapter 1, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. So his goodness is consistently good. However, we do need to note that none of us get anywhere near his standard of goodness. We know that. Um, the message in Isaiah uh, says, Our best efforts are grease-stained rags. That's as good as it gets for us, grease-stained rags. We can't reach God's standards of goodness, but he never moves the goalposts and changes his standards. The third thing that we do with the word good that we can't apply to God, we make it conditional. Father Christmas only brings presents to good children. Or we reward children with something good for being good. And there's a danger that we can fall into the same trap of, think, of expecting God to reward us for being good. We can have the mindset that, you know, after all I've done for him, he owes me. But God's goodness is unconditional. Psalm 145 says, the Lord is good to all. Now, we've already seen that we fall miserably short of his goodness, even when we're being very, very, very good. But he still pours out his love unconditionally. He lavishes his grace and his goodness on, on us. Our relationship with him is all based on grace. So we mustn't fall into the trap of trying to understand God, God's goodness in the way that we think of good. Instead, we need to turn to the Bible and get a true biblical understanding of goodness. 
There are many references, but my favourite one, and the only one I'm going to focus on this morning, is in Exodus 33. Moses asks God to show him his glory, and this is God's reply. He says, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. So Moses asks to see God's glory, and God says, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. God's very glory lies in his goodness, and it's far more than we can grasp. In fact, God hides Moses, you'll remember, in a rock so that he can only see God's back, because if he saw his face, he would die. It reminds me of um, that quote from, from the Narnia Chronicles, where in the, in the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, where Susan asks Mr. Beaver, she, she's, they're just hearing about Aslan, and Susan asks Mr. Beaver, is he safe? Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. So God's glory lies in his goodness. Charles Spurgeon said that God's, glory, uh, God's goodness is a bit like a rainbow. Just as you have many colors and hues blending together to make a rainbow, so God's many qualities blend together and can be summed up in goodness, his goodness. And then Spurgeon went on to say, the full display of the goodness of God, however, is reserved for the working of his grace in the redemption of man. The full display of the goodness of God is reserved for the working of his grace in our redemption. And that's what, if you have a closer look at our reading this morning, it's all in there. God loving us so much and wanting us to be whole and wanting us to be in relationship with him in the light that he gave up his son to die for us. That Jesus paid the penalty for our sin, took our sin upon him and gave us his righteousness. That we are forgiven, that we are made clean from all that's not good in us. We can't reach God's standards, but he makes us clean. This is the full display of his goodness. His undeserved grace lavished on us. All this is wonderful, but you may be sitting there going, I'm struggling to believe God is good. What's going on in my life right now, I'm, it doesn't add up. How can God be good? Because it's easy to say God is good when things are going well, when our prayers are answered in the way we want. But what if we're in deep pain? What if we've had a diagnosis that is really hard to hear? What if someone we love dies? Or we lose our job? Or a relationship breaks down? Or if the people in Ukraine are caught up in war? What if life just isn't what we expected? Is God still good then? Well, suffering tests our trust in God's goodness. His goodness doesn't change, but our trust is tested. And deep down, we can find ourselves asking the questions, do I believe that he really, really has my best interests at heart? Do I believe that ultimately he will bring good? And I think when we are going through these hard times, we can ignore God, we can run away, we can kind of shut him out. But actually, I think those are the times we need to wrestle. We need to get close and wrestle with him. It's Gethsemane prayer. That's what Jesus did. In the midst of our pain, or in the midst of my pain, can I say, Father, I don't like the way things are, but I trust you? When I first went to Liabi a few years ago, 
Um, I had given up my home, my job, my career, um, my church life. I moved away from family and friends. I felt like I'd given up everything. And not long after I arrived, I, was, I had this weird illness. I was ill for, for quite a number of months, and I was in real pain for a long time. And I found then that although I believed in my head that God was good, in my heart, I was really challenged by that. And I did lots and lots of wrestling. And through that wrestling and through us being really honest with God and saying, I, I don't understand why you've brought me here for this to happen. Are you good? Wrestling with it and asking him those questions, being honest with him, telling him what it was like. I found that I came to a place where I learned to trust. And from then on, I do, I know, I know God is good and I can trust that. He has promised his grace. You'll know that verse in 2 Corinthians. My grace is sufficient for you. It's enough for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Whatever happens to us in life, and it won't be easy, God has promised his grace. Grace to endure. Peace in our turmoil. Hope in our despair. Even joy in the middle of our our sorrow. Because suffering does not have the last word. We're looking forward to the day when God will wipe away every tear and there will be no more pain or dying or crying. So just to remind you, God's goodness is beyond measure. It's constant and consistent and it's unconditional. It's not easy to trust God's goodness, but I believe it's really important because I think if we don't, it creates some kind of a blockage in us Bitterness, anger, frustration can build up. And it can, the fruit of goodness isn't as free to grow and thrive as it could do. So let's have a, a, a look now at how we do grow the fruit of goodness. So in our reading this morning, John says, makes it very clear that for followers of Jesus, goodness is not optional. It's impossible for us to be in relationship with God and to continue to live in darkness. It's incompatible. But he very helpfully gives us a model. In chapter 2, verse 6, he says, Whoever claims to live in God must walk as Jesus did. If we want to know what the fruit of goodness looks like in practice, we can look at Jesus. So how did Jesus live? How did he walk? Well, he was totally dependent on his father. And he was filled with his spirit. You may remember um, in one of the Gospels, in Mark, the rich young man comes to Jesus and and calls him good. And Jesus said, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. I don't think Jesus was saying, I'm not good. I think he was saying, my goodness comes because of my relationship with God, because God is good. So if Jesus's goodness comes from his relationship with his father, how much more do we need to follow that model? There are lots of readings. I'm not, I haven't got time to go into it this morning, but if you look at the reading we had this morning, there are loads of echoes with John 15, the passage where Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. It's worth looking at the two passages side by side, actually. I think these words, the words that Jesus said of, um, when he was teaching about being the vine and we are his branches, that those words were so imprinted on John's heart that they just kind of spill over in his writing. And what was that all about? I am the vine, you are the branches. Jesus was saying, be rooted in me. 
remain in me, live in me, dwell in me with the promise that we will then bear much fruit. So what happens when we dwell in Jesus? Well, we're changed from the inside out by the transforming work of the Spirit. It's not about trying hard and doing things in our own strength. And we can't become good by following a set of rules. That's external. The key is being rooted, planted in Jesus, and then we will bear the fruit of goodness. Abiding in him, yielding to him, depending on him. He said to let his word live, live in us, to take hold of us. Julian of Norwich wrote, God only desires that our soul cling to him with all of its strength, in particular, that it clings to his goodness. I love that, that our souls cling to God's goodness. So yes, we will still mess up and we will get things wrong, but we're living in grace and ongoing forgiveness, again, as our reading tells us. So just a, a couple of thoughts about what this fruit of goodness looks like. The word that's used in the Galatians passage means uprightness of heart and life. So the hallmark of this goodness is love for God and love for one another. There's an outward aspect to it. It's an inner quality with an outward expression. We're living in the light, so we're meant to be visible. Goodness, the fruit of goodness has an impact on other people. It's about goodness for the benefit of others, making choices and doing things that bless others. So, in conclusion, two keys to bearing the fruit of goodness. First, dwell on God's goodness. Cling to it as it really is, not as we understand good. Especially the working of his grace in our salvation. And learn to trust his goodness in the hard times. And secondly, make our home in Jesus. Be rooted in him, live in his grace and his love. And let him change us from the inside out. And then... The fruit of goodness will be enjoyed by those around us, making a difference in the world so that people are drawn to the source of all true goodness. Just as the last verse of our reading this morning says, the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Amen.